Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. It's been over a year since D-Day, and I'm sure I'm unsure how to deal with things. I left the house for a year to give her a safe space. I have been attending SLAA groups as well as a therapist and these and other podcasts. I also have completed a polygraph. My wife is still unsure she wants to even try to rebuild a relationship. She still uses words and terms like ruined my life, destroyed me, worked, uh, uh, works is in the ruins on a regular basis. How do I help her move? Um, how do I help her more than I am? She is in therapy for complex trauma. Is it too early for her? Or I even to know if this relationship is salvageable and should we be doing anything more? Well, what I hear here is your unhappiness. You know, none of us want to understand how much we've pushed someone away by doing our own work and learning about that and not being able to bring them back in. You know, um, we can have all the empathy in the world, um, give her a safe space, understand what she's going through. I mean, those are really nice things, recovering yourself, taking the polygraph if that was important. But um but first of all, this sounds a little bit like, like the last question, because my hope is you didn't do any of that for her. You know, this isn't exactly, we say, um, if you're a 12 stepper, you will understand this. We say, never make your wife or your husband or your lover, your higher power. So if I am doing this, it is not for them. It is not for the partner. I'm doing it for me. And my hope is that if I do this, not only will I be better, but our relationship may get better. But you did ruin her life. You did destroy her. Her world is in ruins. And, you know, if and and so, as I said before, I would leave her alone. Go live your life. Do what you need to do. But if you're really, really doing well, um, you need to think ahead. It's been a year. I, I guess I can say this. I think at a year, if you're really, really on the right road, maybe you take the out of doghouse course. I don't know. But it is you have a right to say, I've been working really hard on myself and I love you. And I understand, you know, that you're going through this and understandably, I understand it betrayed you, but I need to look to my future. And I want to understand, should I take a vacation by myself or, or are you going to come with me? You know, I'm going to go visit my family. Are you going to come at the holidays or you're not? In other words, when it gets to the point where you're really doing well and it is, it is um, appropriate to say, you know, where are we going to be in six months? Um, if you get that, well, I don't know, ask me in six months. You know, at a certain point, you're going to have to look at, well, and you notice I don't finish my sentences. I go, oh, next one. <laughs> That's not good. I think it's around the year mark when a couple has been separated that they're either going to need to look toward how they would move back together or not. And by the way, can you go to therapy together? Can you go to dinner together? Can you go to a movie? You know, can you spend time that is not stressful and just fun or go to a safe place to talk to each other? Because at some point, even if you're not ready to be together, you have to be rebuilding the relationship. You may not stay, end up staying together anyway, but how is she going to find out the degree of trauma, how she can manage this, all of that, unless at a certain point you're together? So I completely respect this is not about her or what she's going through, or her decisions. But there is a very healthy need to say, how do I move forward? And the vacation thing, you know, yes, you can go to Recovering Friends, or but I want to go on a vacation with my wife. Um, 
do you think that will ever happen again? I mean, I think that's sad, but reasonable. So, Tammy, am I going too far? No, I, I uh, was thinking similarly that I, um, I'm always disconcerted when I hear we've been separated for a year and there, I don't hear a plan, you know, that there are, this is what I'm looking for, you know, in order to move together or, you know, separate, like, yeah, I mean, you know, at, you're in the middle, you're kind of stuck. Both of you are kind of stuck. And I don't know how much, you know, like I hear you doing the work. That's great. I hear she's going to, to some therapy for complex trauma, mm-hmm. betrayal trauma. Great. You know, that's, that's helpful. But what I don't hear is the two of you navigating, you know, like that you're spending, like Dr. Rob said, you know, are you going out for coffee? You know, uh, you know, how are you communicating? Is it, like, what is the plan that at every so, you know, period of time, these are the things that we're looking for to show that we're moving forward in a different way. I mean, I've heard people that are, you know, separated for years, like, you know, three years, and they're still separated, and there's no plan, and they're, you know, they're, they're stuck. So I think it's really fair, like Dr. Rob said, to have, you know, uh, uh, the ability to plan your life regardless. I'm finding, so Gavin did, Gavin Sharp did a webinar on everybody needs healthy boundaries. This includes addicts. So there's a link to it because um, uh, it, it is, we all need, you know, we, we all need healthy boundaries for us. So, so if your boundary is, you know, I want to know if I'm going to be in a, a long-term relationship then I need to set up the parameters of how we can you know decide if this is going to work or not so the opposite and of love is not hate the opposite of love is indifference and that's that is true it's one of my favorite statements and I made it up so maybe that's why I like it so much but when I hear people say oh they hate me and they're so angry and they want to throw rocks I think well good they're still in the game because I don't think the opposite of love is hate, but I think hate, because I hate, think hate is passionate. Mm-hmm. The other side of hate, by the way, is hurt. And if you look underneath hate, it's hurt and sadness. That's why getting angry makes me feel stronger. Mm-hmm. So the opposite of love is not hate because I'm still in the game with you. But once I'm indifferent, you know, really, I love you, but I'm not sure I want to stay together. And, you know, I've got to be, with, you know, when you don't hear that connection, even if it, even the connection you're hearing isn't the one you want to hear, if it's powerful and emotional, they're still in the game. And if they become indifferent, whoever that is, you know, well, I'm not sure if I want to, that's when I would start to think, wow, this relationship is moving to an end. Uh, you cannot push her through her trauma. She has to go through that. She may feel like, oh, you're, de- and you may get back. You're demanding things of me when I, can't give them and that just increases my trauma and you need to um well that may be true but you're human you have needs and wants you get to say this is what i want and this is what i need if she can do it great she doesn't want to do it great but don't this is the other side of gaslighting there's nothing wrong with you saying these are my needs tell me how they can be met together or not that's actually healthy so i think you're asking the right questions i think the execution is you know the slippery part yeah. And hopefully, you know, I mean, if she's got a, a support therapist, perhaps you schedule a session for your therapist and her therapist and the two of you, you know, to try to navigate, you know, how do we move forward in a different way? So, okay. So the next question, I live paycheck to paycheck and it would be hard for me to pay for seeing a CSAT regularly. What information can I only get from a CSAT 
uh, that is, I can't get elsewhere. Why would I need to go to a CSAT if I can get recovery by going through a 12-step program and reading literature like a few people I have seen who have been years of sobriety for doing a 12-step and have also been restored to their spouse? Well, this is something that um, that my business partner, Tammy, and my other business partner talked about as we were starting our beginning of our work. And one of the things we agreed is that we wanted to give some things away. And the reason we wanted to give as much away as we could, education, support, um, information, whatever that was, is because we know that the majority of you either can't afford or aren't going to make it to treatment or therapy. And the people that you see may not know anything about this. So there alcoholics were never required to go to therapy in order to get well. You work your butt off in a 12-step program. And not only the part about what you do in that room, but helping others, getting sponsored, being a part of groups and fellowships and really diving into that community the more you can. Um, I'm a CSAT. You have a question? Feel free to ask. Most of my staff are CSAT or CSAT trained or in training. Write us, you know, ask Tammy questions. I think the problem is more seeing a therapist doesn't what know what they're doing. So it isn't so much that y'all have to see a CSAT, but if you're wanting to manage betrayal trauma, if you're wanting to manage, manage disclosure, if you're wanting to manage stopping an addiction, you're kind of, most therapists will be very helpful and warm and supportive, but they don't know those technical things, how to do that. And that's why I trained for CSAT. That's why CSAT exists is so that there are some people who just know what they're doing. So if you said to me, I'm going to therapy, but maybe I should get a therapist. It's a CSAT. What do you think? We'd be having a different conversation. But if you said, I can't afford to pay, CSATs are expensive. We are incredibly well-trained. So my bottom line is uh, I, I typed in our website. Because there are free, there are what, how many, 14 free groups that therapists moderate? At, at least, yeah. There are hundreds of these talks with Tammy. There are hundreds of podcasts I've done. There are a gazillion articles, um, tests. We have support groups, you know, multiple times a week and webinars. And, you know, what I would do is educate yourself, jump into it, listen to everything you can. We have a podcast, right? Sex, Love and Addiction. Whenever you drive around, listen to it. I hear it's really helpful to people. We don't get paid. That's not why we're doing it, because we wanted to give away as much as possible. So, no, you do not have to work with a CSAT, but you, I would not necessarily work with just a regular therapist until I got my recovery going. Some therapists will say, oh, no, there's no sex addiction. You're just like a lot of sex, or maybe you didn't like your partner. You just need to be with someone else. And, you know, it's because they don't know and they don't understand. They're not, they're not trained. So, um, uh, why would I need to go to a CSAT if I can get recovery? I will say that part. I'm going to cut Tammy off probably. But because of our training, you know, we're able to look at some of the whys. We're able to help negotiate issues with you and your partner or you and dating or, you know, there's a higher level of personal focus. Um, this is kind of silly, but I could take an exercise class on YouTube and I would get fit and I would follow it and I could take the advanced class. But that's not the same as going to a gym and having a one-on-one -on -one trainer where they can be with me and have a relationship with you and know where I'm strong and know where I'm not. And I kind of like that metaphor because either way, you're getting what you need, but you may not, may not be giving it, getting it in such an intense, focused, and personal way. Um, but you can get there for sure. Tammy? 
Yeah, I tell people the same thing. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's the journey you're on. So um, just so you're clear, you don't go through a 12-step program and then you're magically all better. It's like, I still go to 12-step. I've been doing this for decades and I still go to 12-step, you know, and I still learn new things. I do my dailies every, you know, I do them every day um, because this is a chronic condition. And so it isn't like, well, if I just go through the 12-step or if I just go sit in meetings, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, so if you, you know, if you really do the program, I mentioned earlier, steps four through nine are the meat of the program. It's where you do the heavy lifting. If you do that and make a commitment and I'd make a commitment to be doing that in the 90 meetings in 90 days. I will also share my struggle with the S groups um, is that it's harder to find long-term recovery, people that have solid recovery. So you're going to have to search harder for the solid recovery, you know, in S groups, find a sponsor who is actually doing the steps is actually in recovery and not, you know, um, you know, acting out every few months and going, Oh, well, I had a slip, you know, so, so you want the good quality sobriety. We have, as Dr. Rob mentioned, we've got free dropping groups that are moderated by people, you know, um, so that they're a safe space lean into those you're here fantastic dr rob's podcast sex love and addiction has had nearly 1.2 million downloads there's great information but even with all the great information you can read all i've said so many times if an addict could read a book and then be magically fixed we'd all read a book and be done <laughs> I have a it's wand. about yeah i know i want one of those too um but the um but the 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 opposite of addiction is also healthy attachment so it getting into a, you know connection with as many peer uh, support people there was a great podcast uh, no there was a great webinar on accountability debbie mcrae did it email me tammy t-a-m-i at seeking integrity if you want that specific one but it's on our website too, but she, it was, I think it was either 10 or 12. I think it was 12 points of accountability, how, you know, you're being accountable. You know, so you can do it, you know, the 90 meetings in 90 days, at least, you know, double it up. You know, the more you lean in, uh, you know, on those things, you know, the, the stronger program, but I know lots of people who have gone. I mean, I know lots of people that have warmed a chair at 12 step and they've stayed abstinent but they haven't really gotten recovery. So, so you can, but I know lots of people that go to CSAT therapists and lie. They, you know, they're paying them and no. they continue to lie. So, so it really is, what is your willingness to do this differently? If you really lean into it, you will figure out how to, you know, to be on a very different path, you know, regardless of, you know, uh, whether you paid for, for the support or not. So. I was going to add one more thing, which okay. is, um, oh, no, actually, I was actually focused on the next question. I was okay. getting to that, so sorry. Co-person, I'm not quite sure what that means. Erotic rage when it is acted out on fantasy online with chat rooms, porn uh, webcams, when it takes the form of not in-person voyeurism, exhibitionism, S&M, mm -hmm. et cetera. Will it escalate to in-person? So will, if I'm watching this online mm -hmm. in fantasy, escalate to acting out in person um what uh my understanding of most of um people who engage in a lot of behaviors that they feel uncomfortable with or they've learned like fetishes things that they saw online that they didn't know they enjoyed or they found and they thought it, thought it was interesting that might be exhibitionistic porn that might be as you said s&m type porn 
lots of people look at that, um, but that doesn't mean they're going to go out and do it in the world. And I think the statistics are fairly low, meaning if you already go out in the world and voyeur people, if you already exhibit yourself, if you are already out there in S&M situations, then looking at that kind of porn will probably escalate it or make you do it more, or you'll find out new things that you didn't know about and you go out and do those. But if you have no history of engaging in those behaviors, it is much less likely that you're going to go out there and actually do them. That That's really true. Um, what I also hear is, you know, and this is Tammy, when I, when the not, when the, all the sex addiction people don't understand that there's more to sex than addiction, you know, I don't know whether you are simply enjoying your sex life and this is what turns you on. Um, as, as we just talked about recently, I'm not pro-porn. I'm not against porn. I'm not pro-alcohol or against alcohol. I'm not pro-gambling or against gambling. It's all about the person and their situation and what they can manage and what they can handle. I'm against someone destroying their life because of alcohol or because of sexual behavior. But because you like wine or beer, that's none of my business. So if you enjoy looking at certain kinds of images and they are not, it's not illegal, and uh, it may be shameful or uncomfortable, but it fits into what turns you on. You know, I, I never go, if you like drinking on a regular basis, but it's never been a problem for you, you have a glass of wine in the evening, you know, I, it's not my job to judge. Um, so there are two questions here, Tammy, I think, which is one, well, there's three. One, is there some kind of addiction or compulsion? Two, am I acting out my behavior kind of rage? And number three, um, is it okay to want to look at these things or does that mean I'm going to go out and do them? Do you have any thoughts about those? Well, I mean, it, it, no, no, it's one of those things where, you know, people are always afraid that if somebody's looking, I'm going to use an illegal, like, you know, looking at child porn, that they're automatically going to go to touch and that, that you know, that it, it, they, it's still illegal. I'm not, I'm not, in We're any way condoning it yeah yeah no porn. i'm just saying you know people but, go oh he looked at you know child porn so therefore he's going to go you know i have to protect my children because he's going to you know hurt them i you know i haven't seen any research that shows that well that the percentage why don't I jump on that just to make it more Thank comfortable, you. Tammy? There's a lot of research. There's a lot of fear that people who look at underage porn are going to go do that, touch them, and that the viewing of it is kind of a training or a practice or it drives them to escalate. And that's why there's such long prison sentences for looking at child porn. I mean, you, I'm not, again, I'm not promoting it. I'm not supporting it. I feel for the families, the children. You know, it is not okay. And you can, if you're in prison, federal prison for looking at child porn, you get more time than you do for uh, attempted murder, for rape, you know? So, uh, and the reason for that is, is that there's this idea in the culture that if I'm looking at it, I'm going to touch. But when you look at the statistics, it's really fascinating because, and you can look this up. There's a gentleman, if you want to put it in the chat, Tammy, his name is Dr. Michael Seto, oh, S-E-T-O. Yes. And he wrote a book called Internet Offenders. And in that book, he did a tremendous, Canada, tremendous mm -hmm. amount of research on this particular topic. And with people who look at underage porn, the reality is, is the number likelihood that they're going to go on and actually hurt a younger person if they've never done it is like 3%. So we have a whole population, and I think it extends to things like this, people who look at all kinds of things, legal and not legal, but that doesn't have anything to do with whether they're going to do it or not. 
um, I don't know if I can say this right, but think of how many things in life you really wanted to do, but you knew that wasn't a good idea. You know, um, it's not that dissimilar. People, just because people look at things that make them uncomfortable, make other people uncomfortable, doesn't mean they're completely out of control. People who are just going to, you know, do things. Um, yeah. So it's, this is a tough one, by the way, for this particular group of 46 people, because um, it's not my job to say whether porn is good or bad. It's not my job to say whether any addictive behavior or substance is good or bad. It's up to the, you know, now they're using psychedelics for therapy. You know, 20 years ago, 15, we would have said, oh my God, psychedelics are a drug addict. So it's not my job to judge. My job is to help the individual. If you want judgment, go into politics, <laughs> go into sociology or history or medicine. You can judge what works and what doesn't. I'm not interested in how this affects the culture. I feel sad about it, but I'm not, what I'm interested in is are you destroying your life or the lives of those around you? And so um, I can't tell you what this is for you, um, but I would suggest you ask more people. And um, I will say this also, when I ran a, a, in running a treatment center, when someone comes to seeking integrity and they say, I wanna belong here, you know, my wife told me to be here or whatever. I have to tell you my entire career, I have never run into someone in a treatment center who wasn't there for a reason. And the same reason that we did, whether I was in doing individual therapy or group, when you walk into a sex addiction therapist's office, you have a problem. And uh, otherwise you could go see, you know, a regular therapist. So anyway, if this is bothering you. And so I really hope that you do find someone to bounce it off of because we don't have very much information at all about you. And I don't want to see you do anything to hurt yourself or others. So I think you should probably just seek someone out like a sponsor or a therapist and say, you know, I'm not sure what this means. Can you help me understand it? Yeah, and I'd honestly go for a higher level of care because the sponsors, you know, it's experience, strength and hope. And this one feels like it's a little, there's a little bit more to it. So getting, you know, qualified help, uh, email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. Let me know where you're located and I'll do my best to help you. Okay, next question. We've got a bunch. So let's get through some more. I'm the betrayed wife. My husband is having a hard time admitting his flirting was consciously acting out. Mm -hmm. He says it's just a nice guy who likes to give everyone compliments <laughs> and wasn't looking for anything. He admits he won't do it in front of me. One, what is healthy compliment giving versus uh, is what is flirting? Does the answer different differ for an SA versus a non-SA? Is a heterosexual male SA in a monogamous relationship that is handing out compliments to women based on looks in active addiction? Can you say something? Oh, are they in active addiction? Yes. So well, if it's a heterosexual uh, male, right. my, yes, I just don't know if it's in his inner circle or, you know, if that's, a, I don't well, know. I don't know because we don't have enough information, but I can tell you this. If it does happen around you, it makes you uncomfortable. Why isn't your husband respecting that? It makes you, you know, I don't have to say. He's the not doing it around her. Well, the, how does she know he, then? That's what he, I well, that's a good question, but he says he's just being a nice guy and he admits right, he won't she do know? it in front of me. Maybe the person, it doesn't matter. Okay. So just go with, I, yeah. I, so um, I compliment, I don't even know. I'm not sure how to, why don't you try and answer for this time? I mean, I'm a little, I'm, ver, I'm so, so well, okay. I, I have strong, yeah, I have strong feelings about this because good. yes, yes. Because I'm like, you know, he doesn't do it in front of you. So he, like, he is absolutely doing this behind your back. So that is, you know, the secrets and lies. So I don't know what his inner circle has, you know, so I don't know if that falls into it or if that's just a middle circle behavior. It is not in the healthy things. And if he's doing it 
complimenting women based on looks, I'm sorry, that's extra creepy. It's got nothing to do. I mean, like if he was going, gosh, you're so smart, you know, because your brain is so amazing. That's different, but he's only doing it to women. He's not doing it to guys like this feels. So I trust your gut to me. This is like, this is a problem, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, and he can go talk to his sponsor about this and they can, you know, he can talk to his therapist, but, um, but if he's, not comfortable doing it in front. Like if he, if, if he imagines you're always right there next to him, you know, and he's not willing to do it, then, you know, I mean, it's bad if he does it in front of you too, but, but to me, that's like, he knows he's timing this when you're not around. So. Well, I agree with Tammy for sure that you need to trust your gut. And if this feels uncomfortable, it probably is. And this doesn't feel, and it would not feel like recovery to me, especially the response you know, well, I wouldn't do it in front of you. That's not a recovery response. Recovery response is tell me if you've seen me do that. How, what exactly are you talking about? You know, how can I learn from what you're saying? That's a recovery response, but don't worry about it. Cause, and it's back, especially I don't worry about it. Cause I only hit on people when you're not around. Yeah. He says doesn't... he's just a nice guy that gives everyone compliments, but I was like, well, okay. then you give everyone compliments and it's right. not just women and it's not based on their looks, you know? So all you like, and, there's so many. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, it's very nice. I try very hard to, to, I really try hard to the people who have life difficult, like the person behind the airline counter. Yes. I try really hard to say, I'm, I hope you're having a good day. And I know how hard this yes. is. And when I go to the grocery store and they don't ring, I don't say, boy, you're really slower. Even if they have been, I work really, really hard to say thank you especially for the people who are out there struggling day to day, having to deal with the general public. We just deal with a troubled public, but uh, that was a joke. But in any no, case- but, No, but you're not, you're thanking them and being kind to them. You're not giving it's them- It's important to me. But you're not giving them nice guy compliments based on their looks if they're- No, no, I'm not done you. yet. Oh, I'm done. That's okay. I, 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 I appreciate your one. passion. <laughs> um, so- um, but here's the other part of it is that if I'm working on this in recovery and I can't, and trust me, recovery, I can't differentiate. I don't think when I'm saying to someone, wow, you did a great job and really mean it for them. Or whether I say, wow, you did a good job because I'm hoping they respond to me. I can say that the number one drug for sex addicts is attention. How can we get, oh, and maybe there's a better one, admiration. We want to be admired. We want to feel important. We want to feel special. And it's and we're really going to be seductive. So believe me, I know how to flirt with both women and men in ways that I will get attention in a good way, although it's harder and harder as I get older. But here's the deal. He does not have to compliment. He does not have to do this. He can spend three months saying thank you and moving on. Because he needs to learn whether he's getting the attention from whomever. When you compliment people, they look up, they look you in the eye. They, he doesn't need to engage people at that level right now. He's in early recovery. Maybe he, when I had to take an abstinence period, I had to take about 90 days not having sex because my sponsor told me to. I learned to look down at the ground. <laughs> I learned not to do this. I learned to wear that I, what I was wearing was about attracting people. I learned a whole bunch of things by not being able to be sexual for a period of time. Now, I didn't learn how to a better relationship or how to date or how to integrate sex with my life, but I learned a lot about my healing. And I would ask this person, what would it be like if you just stopped looking for attention, if you just stopped trying to make people feel good and you just kept walking? 
didn't look for this look, didn't look for the smile, didn't. I know what that's like. Um, and it, it's very nice to do with people unless you're a sex addict and you don't know your motivation. And he may be right. He does it for some reason sometimes and some reason for others, but he doesn't understand it. And the way he will understand it, it's by, first of all, listening to you. And second of all, just stopping. I'm not going to give anyone a compliment. I'm going to smile and say thank you, and I'm going to move on. And let's see what that's like for him when he's not able to generate the extra attention for whatever reason. Um, whew, that was a hard answer to give. I had to like work my way through that. I wasn't sure what to say. Yeah, well, it is it is challenging. So, but yeah, trust your gut. Okay, next question. My husband is finally working on recovery and consistently seeing a CSAT on part two of Sex Addiction 101 signing up for part three, but we are in the middle of the 90 day sobriety, no sex, et cetera, before doing his therapeutic disclosure. He keeps saying he wants his wife back and wants things back to normal. And he's ready to just tell me everything. This attitude is just pushing Ooh. me away. I feel he just wants sexual intimacy, affection, and I don't even want to be close because I don't know what I don't know. Well, the first thing I want to say to you is I would really not want this person in my bed every night. Um, sex, I mean, I, and I mean, forget about sex. Like I would not want this person in my bed. What would it be like to just take some time apart within, I know people who take apart time within their own homes. So, and by the way, normal was I act out and I don't tell you, you are sweet and wonderful to me because we have a great relationship because there's so much you don't know about. And I want to have a relationship where I have control and then I can kind of work you into loving me. And as long as you don't know about this and I can get what I want over there. Um, that's not normal. There is a new normal. The new normal is he is in the doghouse and he doesn't get to decide when you're affectionate, when you're caring, how he gets. He um, it's not that he doesn't deserve it or he's not. He's a bad guy. But again, this idea that um, I want you to be different so I can feel better. That's not recovery. That's trying to, like we said before, that's that's making you the cause, you the solution to the problem. If she'll just be nicer to me, I don't have to do all this stuff. So, and as far as the attitude pushing you away, I think you should trust that and turn it physical. If you feel like pushing someone away, they don't necessarily belong in your bed. You know, they don't necessarily need to be going out with you or spending time with you, or you can focus on yourself and your own healing. Um, trust the trust. This is pushing me away. Trust that. I think he wants sex. Trust that. I don't even want to be close. Trust that. All of this is perfectly healthy in terms of the process that you're in. Um, I am glad he's taking courses. Um, I'm glad he's in therapy. Um, I don't see anything about 12-step meetings. I sure hope he's going. But if, um, if, you, if he went to see me and he said, I want my spouse to be normal, Number one, I would say there's a new normal and you signed up for it years ago when you did this. And number two, I would say, st stop looking at her and look in the mirror, <laughs> worry about what's going on there and, you know, let her find her own new normal. If he wants things to be as they were, they will never be as they were. You will never look at him and innately trust him when he walks off the door. You never will. Your relationship may be better. It may change. It may be more intimate, but that naive sense of, you would never hurt me, which may have been normal before, that you will always be mistrustful. And that's, I mean, to different degrees, but that's, there is no, no going back to normal. Yeah, that's what I was like, A, first, what is normal? But um, yeah, this feels um, manipulative. He wants his wife back. I was like, 
I want, you know, a, a husband of integrity. We, you know, we, we don't always get what we want, but I really, like Dr. Rob said, trust, trust your gut, hold the space. He is very early in this process, very early. I mean, you know, 90 days, like there's so much more work to do. Um, But I would be abundantly clear with him is we can never wind things back to the way they were. Eyes wide open, we can find a new path. I did pop the podcast we do with Dr. Stan Tatkin in the chat. Um, You know, this is what we can strive for. This is what we can work for. But, you know, he's got to do the lion's share of the work. He's the one that has to change. So, so, you know, like Dr. Rob said, he's seeing a CSAT once a week. And he's doing our work groups once a week. I don't hear anything else, you know, so that would that would not be enough to combat things that are decades old. Uh, so 12 step, our drop in groups, like the more he leans into that, the more he'll start to change. But this is, you know, yeah, that that is a um, that's a big misstep in his, you know, trying to build a bridge to to you. So hold, hold your the way I want healthy you boundary. To be. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to normal. Like it was great back then. We didn't have to worry about any of this. Like you were mad, you're mad at me now and you weren't mad at me because you didn't know what was going on. I was lying to you. So, yeah. Um, We don't mean to be mean to the addicts. It's just some of the stuff that comes out of your mouth. And I am one, so I get it. Yeah, no, it's early in recovery. It's like the more I, you know, like the person that talked about, like, you know, I, I have no money. Okay. The more you lean into and there's lots of free stuff. The more you lean in, the more you do the work, you, the, the, the more you're going to get out of it. I mentioned I go to 12 at me. You know what? I read the same stuff that I've been reading for decades. You know what? I can still pick up something or I go, oh, I forgot about that. You know, like we never graduate from this. You know, I want to die in recovery. And so I'm willing to do the work so that I can continue to grow. So we're way out of time. And there's a whole bunch more questions, and I'm sorry we won't get to them. But anyway, so come back next week. We'll have more. And by the way, these are great questions. I Mm -hmm. I hope you realize, and I hope that you're getting what you need. I just want to say briefly that the question beneath it, because I appreciate your writing, the question beneath it, we're not going to have time to answer, is someone who went to a number of our groups, and they're saying, how do I take a next step? They went to Sex Addiction 101. Then they went to Out of the Doghouse. That's the right order. And now they're saying, you know, they're running into deeper issues. And when is the right time? And what I, the reason I'm saying this to you is Tammy wrote them back. And she said, why don't you talk to this staff member who you know because you took their course. And anyone who takes the course can talk to that person. They can set up an individual session. They can do whatever. But our door doesn't close. And I really love that you wrote that, Tammy. It wasn't like read this book or it was like you're in touch with the people who educated you in that course. Reach back out to them and see what they think. Um, yeah, we're not because the they know word. you and we're just going to read this and go, well, here's some thoughts. But they know you. They can help guide you, um, you know, specifically in your situation. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.